no matter what the life status of people are, they want to meet somebody that walked on the moon. And God has opened the door of that moonwalk to change a lot of people. Welcome to the Jesus Storybook Bible Podcast, a place where we remind you that grace can rewrite any story, that hope shines a light through our darkest moments, and that God's love changes lives. Here's your host, New York Times bestselling author, Sally Lloyd-Jones. Hello, I'm Sally Lloyd-Jones, author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which tells the story of God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Welcome to the show. This quote came to mind listening to our guest's incredible story. Let me read it to you. It's from St. Augustine. Men go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motions of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. Our guest today has taken the most incredible, dangerous journey ever conceived by mankind, a journey to somewhere only 12 people have ever been, and he's the youngest ever to do it. What was it? He walked on the moon. Our guest is General Charlie Duke, fighter pilot and astronaut who, at age 37, walked on the moon as part of the Apollo 16 space mission. General Charlie Duke had done everything he'd set out to do at the age of 37, and he remembers, after doing that, asking himself, now what? Little did he know that his greatest adventure, his more incredible journey, still lay ahead of him. Perhaps you too are at a crossroads or even at what seems like a dead end. Perhaps you're also asking yourself, now what? God's people asked themselves that very same question when they came to a dead end. And let me read to you a bit of their story from the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's called God Makes a Way. We pick up where God's people have just escaped in the middle of the night from slavery in Egypt. God led his people through the desert to the edge of a great sea. They were just wondering how to cross it when suddenly they heard a terrible thundering and pounding. It sounded almost like horses' hooves. They shaded their eyes to look back and screamed. It was! Pharaoh and his army were coming to get them. Pharaoh had changed his mind again. Get my slaves back! He screeched and charged out into the desert after them with 600 of his fastest horsemen and every single chariot in Egypt. What were God's people going to do? In front of them was a big sea. It was so big there was no way around it, but there was no way through it. It was too deep. They didn't have any boats, so they couldn't sail across and they couldn't swim because it was too far and they would drown. And they couldn't turn back because Pharaoh was chasing them. They could see the flashing swords now glinting in the baking sun and the dust clouds and chariot after scary chariot surging towards them. So they did the only thing there was left to do. Panic! We're going to die! They shrieked. Don't be afraid, Moses said. But there's nothing we can do, they screamed. God knows you can't do anything, Moses said. God will do it for you. Trust him and watch. But there's no way out, they cried. God will make a way, Moses said. 
Another minute and it would have all been over. But then the strangest thing happened. God made the pillar of smoke move. It moved behind his people and hid them from the Egyptians. Then God sent a strong east wind to blow all night long. It blew on the water of the big sea. It blew it to the left and it blew it to the right until it blew it into two towering walls of water. And there, right through the middle of the sea, a muddy pathway opened up and God's people walked across on dry land. I can't wait for you to hear from Charlie. You'll be on the edge of your seats listening to him recount how close he came to disaster on the moon and the way God opened doors for him at the crossroads that changed the whole course of his life. And your hearts will be lifted up knowing that there is a wonderful plan and a magnificent journey for each one of us. A journey and an adventure that trumps even the most incredible galactic one. So without further ado, Please welcome my friend, and now yours, General Charlie Duke. My name is Charlie Duke. I'm a former astronaut, test pilot, and a fighter pilot for the United States Air Force. I graduated from the Naval Academy in 1957, but went in the Air Force and had a long career in the Air Force. I was involved in the Apollo program primarily while I was at NASA as an astronaut. Worked on five of the nine missions to the moon, but I only flew once, and it was a lunar module pilot for Apollo 16, which launched on April 16, 1972. So that's basically my background. We were actually in space 11 days from liftoff to splashdown. Three days, we were actually on the moon. The first three missions on Apollo were only 24 hours on the moon. NASA wanted to get more science in, and so they extended the stay of the lunar module from 24 hours to 72 hours. Then they gave us a car that we could drive around on the moon and cover a lot more territory or distance from our landing site. So it was an extensive uh, training program for us two years to get ready, and uh, we spent 2,000 hours uh, training for the actual flying of the mission in the simulator. We did hundreds of hours of lunar surface training, learning how to deploy the rover, learning how to get in and out of the rover, how to do the experiments that we would do, and we had geology training. We had physical training that was really up to you, but everybody wanted to stay in shape. We were spending most of our time at Kennedy Space Center, five days a week and long hours, but you're down there without your family and don't have any interferences, if you will, from family or friends. And so we were able to devote our attention to training. The first thing that surprised me was the vibration in the Saturn V rocket when we lifted off. First stage was very shaky. You're on a big, tall rocket, and you're at one end, and the engines are moving at the other end. So it shakes the vehicle quite violently. We made a successful landing, and that was very dynamic landing on the moon because of photographs that we had studied to do the landing. You recognize the major craters that you've been looking at, but there's hundreds of smaller ones that you have to 
then had to maneuver among and find a spot to land. So that was dramatic. I only had one moment of fear during the whole 11 days we were gone was at the end of our stay on the moon, John Young and I decided we would like to do the moon Olympics and see how, how we could jump. That seemed like a good idea, but it turned out for me, it wasn't such a good idea because when I sprang up to see how high I could get, my center of gravity went backwards because of the big life support system I had on my back and I went over backwards. And I was going to land on my back and that was a moment of fear. But fear is not a bad emotion if you don't panic. And so this thought came to me, roll right quickly. So I rolled to the right and broke my fall on my right arm and right hand and right foot and bounced onto my back. But I was, I realized I was still alive. The suit was pressurized. The, you could hear the pumps running. Everything seemed normal. John came over and helped me up. But my heart was pounding at that point. But then it slowly calmed down when I realized the suit checked out okay and I was okay. But could have been a disaster for me. The view of the earth from 20,000 miles away was breathtaking. And I was just awed at everything that we did. I was 36 when I went to the moon. When Apollo was over, I was 37. And the thought occurred to me, I'm 37 years old. I've climbed to the top of the ladder, what I do now. So I decided to leave NASA and go into business and basically took my eyes off the moon and put them on money. There was no peace in my life from, you know, dwelling on that accomplishment. My marriage was getting in pretty bad shape. We were married nine years when I went to the moon and over the next three years things became to come unravel in my marriage and we were talking divorce. My wife was actually got so bad emotionally she was considering suicide. Though she didn't tell me that, that was what was going through her mind from about 1972 to 1975. We were in church but we had a mental ascent of Jesus but not a heart relationship. In October of 1975, our church, a little Anglican church in LaPorte, Texas, had a Faith Alive weekend where these people came and shared their faith. And they just glowed with love and the peace and, and joy of Jesus. And uh, so after that weekend was over, my wife just said, I've tried everything but Jesus. And Jesus, if you're real, I give you my life. If you're not, I want to die. Well, God is real, Jesus is alive, and he revealed himself to her over the next two months. And I watched her change from sadness to joy over those two months. We moved to New Braunfels, Texas, where I became a businessman in San Antonio in that next January. So that would have been in 1976 and uh, was a successful businessman, but still didn't have any peace. She prayed a little simple prayer. Lord, if you want Charlie in a beer business, give him peace. If you don't want him in a beer business, make it so miserable that he sells out. Six months later, it was pretty miserable emotionally for me, but pretty satisfying business-wise. I was making a lot of money. 
So do I choose the money or choose the peace? And I chose the peace and sold the business. And that was in March of 78. And in April, a doctor friend of mine here in New Braunfels, Texas, where we live, he invited me to a weekend Bible study. And it was a life-changing experience. I didn't want to go at first, but then I I said, well, okay. He was so nice. I said, I'll, I'll go. We got over to John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If you believe in him, you'll not perish, but have everlasting life. And the thought occurred to me, you know, that's either true or the biggest lie ever perpetrated on humanity. And we get to decide. We have a free will. God has given us free wills. So we get to decide whether to believe his word or believe what the world says. So I made a decision after that weekend that, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. Come into my life. And in a very dramatic way, he did. And I experienced the peace of God that passes all understanding. And that started my walk. And that was in April 1978. My wife was at the Bible study. So I was sitting in the front seat of my car. And I looked over and I said, darling, there's no doubt in my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and my Savior, and I invite him into my life. And I, that's when I experienced the peace. And she broke out in this big grin and said, God's been waiting for you to say that. And so the biggest thing we learned was forgiveness and to forgive the other for the hurts and the problems and the toils that we had and just start centering your marriage on Jesus. My boys were, one was 13, the other's 11, and I had really been a hard dad. Scripture says in Proverbs, you have the power of life and death in the tongue. And God showed me that I had cursed my own children with the words that I was saying. And uh, so <clears throat> I was in tears and uh, I went to them and apologized and said, boys, forgive me. And the youngest one looked up, that's okay, dad. And we started growing together. and. They started seeing the change in us, and a year later, they both came to faith. I began to repent, and I just got deeper and deeper and deeper into the Word and into the joy of a, being a Christian. And they, it just ex, was exploding within me, and Dottie and I started Duke Ministry for Christ, which was just a way for us to serve the Lord through testimony and giving. Let's see, 1978, we formed Duke Ministry, so 44 years, and so we're still at that and gone all over the world sharing my faith uh, from dirt floors in Africa to palaces in Europe. And it's amazing, no matter what the life status of people are, they want to meet somebody that walked on the moon. God has opened the door of that moonwalk to change a lot of people. You can get the Jesus Storybook Bible wherever books are sold. To find out more about the book and all of Sally's other books, please visit Sally at sallylloyd-jones.com and follow her on Instagram at Jones and at Jesus underscore storybook underscore Bible. Before we go, don't forget, God loves you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, 
always and forever, love. Oh, hello. It's me again, Sally. I'm just popping back briefly to say two things. The first thing is, don't forget to subscribe to the show, because that way you'll get the stories straight to your phone. And the other thing is, while we're at it, would you rate the show and leave us a review? That would be so great because it helps other people find the show too. I really appreciate your help. Thank you.